We are back. This is Todd Sylvester with the Todd Sylvester Inspires Belief Cast. Thank you once again for joining me and coming to listen to amazing people. And today's going to be no different. Uh, we have Carrie Wrigley joining us today. Thanks for being here, Carrie. That's a delight. Thanks, Todd. Yeah, thank you. And I, um, I want to f- uh, give a shout out really quick to our sponsor, Veracity Networks. Thank you for believing in me and helping us get the word out of this uh, belief cast. It's really been so so helpful and so many people have commented and I, I do have to give Veracity Networks and my friend Drew Peterson a shout out, man. You, you're amazing and thank you for believing in me. And, and uh, you know, this wouldn't be possible either if it wasn't for amazing people coming to share their stories. And it's just like, just when you think you can't get better, I mean, week after week, it just, every time I get to sit down with people like Carrie, I just, I feel so blessed to be able to be in a position like this. And Carrie and, and I have known each other for a long time now. Yeah. I mean, how many years it's been probably? I mean, Gosh, Steve and I were doing the math the other day. <laughs> We've been in, we were in the house that, that was across the street from you. Yeah. Uh, 29 years ago, I think it was. Yeah. Yeah, I think you wow. moved in a little bit after we did, so yeah. it's probably at least 27, 28 years we've known each other. Yeah, that's a long time. <laughs> it is. <laughs> well, here we are, and we it's been a long time coming. We, we've been trying to get you onto this for a while, and yeah. but I'm glad this is good timing because we yeah. just are following strong, and, uh, and I'm grateful that a lot of people are going to hear your story today. Fantastic. So a little background on Carrie. I, I do have to say she's probably one of the most talented people I've ever met in my life, especially when it comes to music. And, and I'm not just saying this because you're sitting in front of me. I know you've heard this from other people, but th- she produces, creates music that will m- bring love and peace to your heart. I, I don't know how to explain it any other way. Every time I hear things that you've put together, it, it really, truly, it's like, wow. I mean, what a gift and what a talent. And, and uh, I can't, I wish, I wish we had like a sample of it right now that we could share. But a uh, little background on Carrie. She's an LCSW, a counselor, speaker, public health educator. She's the author of a brand new book called Your Happiness Toolkit. It's 16 Strategies for Overcoming Depression and Building a Joyful, Fulfilling Life. And, you know, she's a, she's a speaker. She speaks all over the place, all over the country, uh, sharing a message of hope and healing and joy. Uh, she has a passion for helping people who struggle with depression, anxiety, and addiction, and other emotional health problems. And this is a, this is the part I really love. She believes that people can learn to do much more than simply manage symptoms. They can learn to actually heal from the inside out and then move on to a happier, more fulfilling life. And we're going to get into that uh, in more detail. Uh, she owns her own... Uh, her own private practice called Morning Light Counseling. She's been doing that for over 30 years. Uh, she earned her training up there at the University of Utah. She got a bachelor in fine arts and theater, and then re- later returning for the master's in social work. And again, you know, she has many gifts and you know, music. She's an a- she's uh, an actress. Um, she's in she's been in movies. Uh, I don't know, just the, the it goes on and on and on. <laughs> um, uh, but she has uh, websites and things like that that I'm going to refer you to at the end. And then uh, you know, I can't wait for people to even reach out to you and who hear your story, who uh, have, have been inspired by the things that you've said and the way you live your life. And again, I, I really am not doing it justice. You're one of the most talented people that I've ever met. Thanks, and Tom. I really mean that. So <laughs> thank you for taking the time out of your busy day and schedule to come be with us here. We're live at Wasatch Recovery. I got to say that as well. And <laughs> and uh, it's just great to be here. So why don't you, uh, why don't we start with giving us a little background, Carrie, about your, you know, where you grew up and maybe a little bit about your family and child, you know, childhood growing up. Sure. 
Um, I, I, I'm a Utah girl. Um, I uh, was born and raised here in Utah, mostly in the Sandy area. Okay. Um, I'm the oldest of seven children um, in a really religious family. Right. And um, that's, that's been a, a, a real core and anchor for me. Yes. In some cases, it's also for me, as for many, been a, a source of a lot of pain when I've misunderstood, you know, the messages sure. of my religion. Yeah, there, I think there is yeah. nothing more healing and helpful than spirituality used effectively, and there's almost nothing more toxic than when it's turned in a. In mm. a um, you know, that's very well said. Direction. I'm glad you point that out because I think a lot of times when things are misinterpreted, and you know, we do it as individuals, and we all do it. Yeah. Where it, it can create a lot of guilt and shame and heartache, and so I'm and glad you kind of point that out. and disappointment. You know, yeah. I, w- w- one of the topics. <clears throat> that I've spoken on for years um, is a, a topic that, that was entitled Christ-Centered Healing from Depression. Mm. And, um, and, and I t- sort of talk about, you know, spirituality and other things that we can do from the inside with, with God's help to sort of move forward. But, yeah. but sometimes it's misunderstood, and I have people come into my office after they've heard my talk, and they say, okay, Sister Wrigley, I'm ready for you to lay it on me. Just give me that Christ-Centered Healing. I'm like, <laughs> um, that's not really how it works, right. you know, because... Yeah. Uh, and, and so that's a misconception. People say, I pray and pray and I hope and I hope and I you know, read the scriptures and I do all this stuff that I know I'm supposed to do and, and I'm still depressed or I'm still anxious or I'm still addicted or I'm still whatever. Or, mm-hmm. You know, I guess God doesn't care about me because he's not giving me that healing that I'm praying for. Mm-hmm. Not understanding that a healing process emotionally is just as gradual, just as incremental, just as much over the process of time with tender love and care as, as right. healing healing um, a physical wound sure you know um you can see todd i have a little scar here on my knee right your audience of course can't see that it's it's kind of a bugger yeah um, <laughs> about four years ago you remember my son michael who right. loves uh, mountain biking yeah and i was trying to be a good mommy and support him in his passion and so i went out on the mountain biking trail with him and let's just say he's a way better mountain biker than i am <laughs> And within the first 20 minutes, I fell hard on a rock and pretty much destroyed our, our experience and barely got back. It happened to me on the 4th of July. And so, um, you know, Michael and the rest of the family went to the celebration. Yeah. As I was home with my leg in the sink, picking out the gravel and right. pieces of rock and going in with tweezers. Try- it, it was terrible. It felt awful, yeah. you know. And I still, as you see, have this little scar here to remind yeah, me of that it's process. A good reminder, yeah. And, you know, <laughs> it, it's, it doesn't hurt anymore. It doesn't in any way get in my way. It's just kind of a sweet reminder at this point of this adventure with my son, you know. Yeah. Um, but I can tell you, it didn't heal right away. You know, first I had to get the gravel and the debris out. I, I actually ended up scrubbing it with a steel brush because it went in so deep Ooh, and it wow. was, you know, That's it painful. was, it was bloody. It was awful. It was horrible. And that was stage one. You know, if I would have just ignored it and put bandages over it, so well, okay, I'll just move on. You know, it wouldn't have gotten healed yeah. as it was. It had to be cleaned out and it had to be, you know, cleansed and, and, and I had to put, you know, uh, ointment on it, had to put bandaging on it, had to protect it, had to, you know, mi- there were processes involved, even in this dumb little wound. Obviously there's people that get a lot hurt a lot more than just a little, you know, right. uh, cut on the knee. The point is it didn't all heal in one day. It took about two months just even for all of the scabbing to go away, yeah, you know, and it took uh, several months after that to kind of get sort of get back to normal, mm-hmm. you know, and yet it, with emotional things, sometimes people I find have the expectation that once they decide they want to be healed, it should just be instant. That's not how it happens. Just like physical healing, there are steps involved. And the longer it took to develop the injury, the longer it usually takes to really get to the bottom of it, you know. So you asked me about um, my background. 
um, as I said, I'm the youngest, I'm the oldest of seven children, yeah. and um, and as such, I grew up kind of believing that whatever um, went wrong was my fault to f- or my responsibility to fix. Um, so you kind of felt that way as being the oldest, yeah, like being the example to the youngest. Oh, absolutely, yeah. being the example, it's being the pressure. second mother, <laughs> you know, especially with the youngest kids, yeah. because that you know I, I understand now as the mother myself of five children, mm-hmm. you know, you just kind of run out of hands after <laughs> a while, you yeah, know, yeah, right, <laughs> and, and especially when there's additional pregnancies or additional times of stress or whatever, mm-hmm. you know. So, so I, I did. I ended up kind of being the kid whose job it was to make sure everything went okay. You know, and in some ways, I think that's really served me because it's given me a spirit of service and helpfulness. But I realized over the course of my life that in some ways, you know, that background of feeling responsible for everything, that it's my job to fix everything. Yeah. You know, it's, it's my job to make up for things, you know, um, kind of put me in a in a position of what I might call um, being a success junkie <laughs> or an right. achievaholic. Sure. In yeah. a sense, you know, <laughs> that um I sort of had to make up for things. It wasn't helped by the fact that my parents fought a lot. They're, they're, we understand this better now. Yeah. They're completely opposite from each other temperamentally, you know. Yeah. Uh, just very, very different people who saw things in very different ways. And one of my jobs, as it turned out, by the time I became a teenager, is being kind of a, uh, a marriage counselor long before I was paid to be one. They would both come to me and sort of decompress <laughs> after the fight. And, oh, your father's so this and this. Oh, your mother just doesn't understand this. And and again, you know, as a kid, you, you can't fix your parents' marriage. How young were you when you can remember the, when well, they started doing that with you? Oh, probably 12, 13. Wow, that's, yeah, that's, yeah. that's yeah. some, uh, that's probably felt very challenging as a 12-year-old, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And so I, I think it kind of, in many ways, set me up to have to be, you know, the kid that never struggled, to be the kid that got the straight mm-hmm. A's, to be the kid that got the lead in the school play, that the kid that, and, and it started to be, you know, if I wasn't achieving at a really, really high level all the time, I felt like a failure, mm. you know, or I, I felt like I was a sad little disappointing shell of my past self, of my potential. And so it set me up for what I would I would characterize as kind of a treadmill of worth. You know, yeah, I'm right. running and running and running. Okay, I'm doing this. Okay, I'm still worthwhile. Okay, I'm still okay. Okay, I'm still making things okay in my family. Oh, but now now I got an A minus. Oh no, now I don't matter anymore. And now yeah. I, you know, and just sure. no matter how many successes I experience, it never feels like enough. And even if I'm succeeding today, I worry that I won't have those opportunities to succeed tomorrow. I was thinking, I think it was in my 30s. By the wow. time I finally figured that out. Yeah. And as you said, I do a lot of things. I love doing things. I love sure. writing and counseling and music and acting mm-hmm. and a lot of things like that. Yeah. But but it's been really fun the last few years to do those things for fun because I enjoy it because I love it rather than to make sure I feel worthwhile enough, yeah. you know, to come out of, out of love and service rather than out of anxiety and fear and self-doubt. Yeah. You know? Well, I think a lot of our listeners can relate with wh- exactly what you're saying. It's almost like if I do this, then I'm going to be happy. Yeah. And then we go do that. And then we're sure, like, I still feel the same. Mm-hmm. Why don't I feel fulfilled? Mm-hmm. Oh, and then I'll go do this now. Mm-hmm. And I'll do this, you know. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of us get caught on that treadmill. That was a really good way that you said that. Yeah, treadmill of worth. I, <laughs> yeah. I really think we, we set ourselves and our kids up in our school systems and a lot of the other systems, you know, um, measuring them against each other for various things and, mm-hmm. you know, measuring ourselves against various things. Yeah. And, and some of the expectations we have in our culture of, you know, the 80-hour the work week and, you know, just constantly having to produce, to achieve, to be better than, to, to make more this year than we did last year, to constantly have that bottom line growing up and up and up. You know, I really think it just sets us up for a lot 
of the depression, anxiety, and yes, ultimately addiction yeah. that a lot of times we'll turn to to deal with the stress of all of that. Yeah. Wow. Do, do you see that a lot with your clients in your private practice that you do? do you, is that a lot of the common themes that you're seeing when you meet with clients? Um, I think it is. I think it's partly what people experience themselves. And it's partly, I think, um, some of the fallout that comes from you know, having parents that are so busy climbing the ladder or mm -hmm. doing that treadmill of worth thing that there's not a whole lot left over for the kids, yeah. you know, that in many cases are kind of left to fend for themselves yeah. and just kind of the sense of deprivation in all of that. Mm -hmm. You know, it was really sad to me to hear, you know, within the, the, the wake of current events that a large percentage of kids as, um, as you know, as school begins again, will be basically home doing school by themselves at home because parents are having to work. Yeah. I can't even imagine doing that as a kid. You right, know, the, right. the, the level of, of pressure, the level of temptation, really, For that's sure. involved in that, and just the level of loneliness oh, associated yeah. with that. So there, there are so many things that, that feed those problems, depression, anxiety, addiction, you know, that it's, the one I mentioned is, is one of many, um, but, um, but um, I think sometimes we assume that those problems are just kind of, you know, randomly, chemically generated and that there's no real reasons behind them. I've never found that to be the case. Always, always there's trigger experiences, there's situations right. of hurt. And right now with the situation that we're, we're going through with, with COVID-19 and the many right, yeah. fallout, ex you know, uh, implications sure. that's come from that, the you know, loss of jobs, the closure of schools, the closure of you know, uh, theaters and, and sports events and activities that we've loved, the loss of so many things yeah. has been a massive, I, I think the real pandemic, you know, there's a few of us that have gotten sick with the actual virus, right. but I think all of us, without exception of every age and every, you know, gender and, and, and description are struggling with that impact of so many losses, so many changes all at the same time. Absolutely. And so, yeah, depression, suicidality, addiction are going through the roof right now, yeah. you know. Yeah, well, it's like all those things that you just mentioned that we love doing. It's kind of like our outlet. It was kind of like our release. Like, hey, mm -hmm. I've had a, I've had a busy week. Let's go see a movie. Let's go to that sporting yeah. event. Oh, we can't do that now either. Right now, what do we do? You know, or even so. as far as school <laughs> itself. You know, I'm yeah. dropping off my youngest child to yeah. back to college, uh -huh. and and he said from the very beginning of this whole thing, he says, "Mom, what's happened with school?" And I think this is really insightful. What's happened with school is all of the fun, rewarding, regenerating things are gone. You know, uh, the, the socialization, yeah, the, you know, right. the arts, the, you know, the, um, uh, physical yeah. education, all of that. Wow. And all the boring stuff is still very much there, <laughs> you know. And I think that, I <laughs> that, right. that, that I think that's true of school. I think it's true of so much of our lives. Sure. And I think it, it's, it becomes even more important as a result that we know how to keep ourselves and our loved ones afloat emotionally, that we know what is within our own power that we can continue to do to stay happy, to stay emotionally well, to stay, you know, um, uh, resilient and, yeah. and able to deal with the, the many stresses that we're facing. Yeah. You know, I hear that a lot too with these kids. Like even kids are like going, no, I want to go to school. Now. Yeah. <laughs> like they're like, man, I'm missing it. Uh -huh. You know, and I think it goes along with what you just said. I think most kids feeling like, man, I'm I'm feeling kind of down and low. And I think part of it's because I haven't been able to socialize and be right. around my peers and right. that kind of thing. Especially for the teenagers. That's such yeah. a crucial part of development. Oh, yeah. 
you know and and so so yeah the the distancing you know I, yeah. I think we've all felt it but i think yeah our teenagers feel it the most keenly because for them it literally is a crucial developmental step to form yeah. those peer relationships and to disconnect from families and connect with their peers preparatory to their launches as young adults you yeah know? i've watched all my kids go my kids are 19 i've actually chosen now 20 20 through 29 and so it's literally been in the last 10 years that they've all, one after another, kind of attached those friend groups, found right. themselves, mm -hmm. identified themselves in something beyond just only our family, and found their way, you know, um, with their own marriages and their own um, careers and educations and so on, found their way in the world, you know. And I really worry about the long-term impact of kids that aren't able to do that because, you know, they're quarantined for they're month quarantined after month after from month. All that, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, I definitely want to continue talking more about w what you do as a counselor and a therapist and all that. And But I also want to go back to, because you obviously are very talented with music. <laughs> <laughs> and I want to just maybe let our listeners know, how, where did the passion for music start for you? And, and kind of just take us through that little, little journey that you've had with music. <laughs> sure. Okay. Um, well, like I say, I was the oldest of my of my uh, parents' seven children. And as the oldest, I got more focused time and attention, I think, than any of the others. And part of that, happily, was my mom taught me how to play the piano starting when I was three years old. So three. by the time I was Did you guys five, hear that? Three. <laughs> so <laughs> by the time I was five years old, I was the accompanist in my kindergarten class, and I was making up little songs and stuff like that. You know, if people who know you <laughs> would, like, not even be surprised what you just said. But that, that's amazing. I mean, I'd be doing it that young. Yeah. <laughs> so it, it, it really has, has just been a joy and a passion for sure. my whole life. But it was kind of funny because my mom basically taught me out of the old, you know, Thompson and Sean. Thompson and Sean. Is that what it is? Um, Sham. Uh, um, methods. As okay. she was being taught by a teacher, she okay. would come home and teach me. Oh, wow. And... Um, and of course you know, she was following a teacher so the teacher would assign her specific songs to do and so mom would just you know as mm -hmm. I just kind of pass it on sort of teacher would assign me little specific songs to do and, and I would learn them but I would think it was so dang boring and, and so what I wanted to do was what I even as a little child called compose and so finally mom figured out a very brilliant plan which was she would quote make me practice for a half hour set the timer right and then i would quote be allowed to quote compose for a half hour <laughs> when i would just kind of improvise on the piano and make right. up little songs and stuff like that by the time i got to fourth or fifth grade i got totally bored with that it's like i don't want to continue to play all the boring stuff everybody right. else wrote i want to do my own music so yeah. i basically completely dropped out of piano at that point but my mom had another brilliant insight and as a going into sixth grade she um gave me for Christmas one year a guitar and sent me to a guitar class, just a little cheap little um, right. community education yeah. class, just as I was, you know, about 12, uh -huh. wanting to kind of strike out beyond the homes we've been talking about sure. and stuff. And I learned about chords and I learned about, you know, basic music theory and different things, which um, gave me even more tools for being able to sort of come up with my own ideas and figure out how to play them on the guitar. And I did that, you know, very, very steadily for two or three years and made up more of my own songs and figured out how to play, you know, guitar tunes with, from my favorite artists and stuff. Yeah. And then about high school, I got a church responsibility to play just little easy songs in a you know, children's group. Yeah. And that kind of got me back into piano. And then I finally realized all that great stuff I learned about, you know, chord structure sure. and music theory from guitar. I could play apply to the piano, except it was even easier because you've got, you know, all the octaves laid out and stuff like that. So, so I, I returned to, you know, piano being my major instrument and I started singing more and more and started making it more and more of my own stuff. And, 
And um, as I moved into college, um, I, I part of my theater training was in musical theater, and so I took some more music theory okay. classes there. Yeah. And that was a really, really hard season um, for me for mm. lots of reasons. Um, and uh, I, I, I experienced the first of what I would call literally a major depressive episode really? at that point okay. in time. I mean, to the extent it was hard to get up in the morning, I'd cry all the time. I thought I was worthless, all this kind of, There's a lot mm. of reasons for that. But music for me during that period of my life was absolutely life-sustaining. Yeah. You know? I, I would sit you know, alone in um, some of the many um, uh, practice rooms at the, in the music building or in mm-hmm. the theater building, and late at night after everybody was gone, you know, um, just sit and play. You know, not, not, not play things out from a page, but just play things from my heart. Just pour all of my pain out on those keys. Yeah. You know? And, wow. and it literally is a lot of what got me through that really hard time to have that artistic mode of expression. Were you composing at that time? Oh, too? no, no. I, I was no. just playing. Just I was playing. just basically okay. improvising, gotcha. you know, uh, just uh, just playing my feelings, basically, yeah. just letting wow. it, you know, just come out. And then um, later it was um, in a religious context when I served a mission for my church, mm-hmm. um, that gift for creating music started to kind of formalize a little bit more. It started to create songs first in Spanish. I was in Argentina okay. um, because in Spanish, <laughs> everything rhymes because yeah, all the right, verbs yeah. rhyme, right? <laughs> so it was actually weirdly, it was easier to start writing songs in That's Spanish awesome. than in English. <laughs> so I did that for, you know, about a year and then gradually, you know, in the latter part of my mission, started writing in English and been kind of writing ever since. And it started with just individual songs and then it started to become sort of cycles of songs that I could use you know on a particular theme for various talks or various you know community um, yeah. events or different things and and ultimately it ended up um, just in the last few years growing into doing full musicals you know um, like a, a two-hour musical we did with a church group a couple of years ago that was you know the most demanding and delicious and wonderful thing I've ever done musically yeah you know? Yeah, so, what a task to take on, right? It was wow. it was a task, but it was it was absolutely delightful. Yeah. Well, that's you, when you're in your wheelhouse. I, I've seen you do that for years <laughs> at church and yeah. other things, and yeah. I know you just thrive on that, and I you're do. passionate about it. And yeah. you know, you said something. You know, when you were really going through that really depressive time in your life, that mm-hmm. playing the piano in those moments was like your, you know, like your godsend, kind of yeah. your life saving thing, and. How, uh, that was going to be my next question is how does music help those who are struggling, you know, whether you play or not, how does music play a part in maybe when you're going through, you know, depression or anxiety and things like that? How would you? Well, and I'll, I'll expand it beyond okay. just music to okay. all of the arts, because I think what I'm going to say about music can also apply to, you know, to drawing, to okay. painting, to dancing, to, to whatever, you know, I think, first of all, as it was for me. There's just that that expressive element, you know, whatever pain is on the inside needs to come out or it just festers and it intensifies and it kind of gets in that sort of loop that just goes around and around and around. I know, Mm -hmm. you know, on your podcast and your work, you talk a lot about beliefs, those negative beliefs, if they don't have any way of getting out and being externalized, just tend to cycle around and around and around in the head and keep you up all night and interrupt your sleep and interrupt your self-esteem and get in the way and become, you know, whereas when they come out, then you can you can get some perspective. You can see them for what they are. It's like, oh, that, that's what I feel. What, whether yeah. it's in a piece of music okay. or it's something that you write yeah. or it's a painting or it's a dance where you just let it all hang out like Kevin Bacon <laughs> did in Footloose in that yeah. wonderful scene, you know. Um, yeah. In whatever form, just taking what's inside and getting it outside of yourself um, literally activates um, the 
um, parts of the brain that aren't accessible in other ways to yeah. get it out there so that you can objectively see what it is that you're feeling. You yeah. know, I think that's one of the things. I think um, certainly taking in art, whether it be, again, music or, or, or visual art or whatever, yeah. you know, um, um, can build a sense of, um, of empathy, like I'm not alone, you know. Like I remember during another sort of tough period of my life, uh, I think I was kind of adjusting to children arriving and not being able to be as free as I had been to do music and theater sure, and other things right. that I'd been as free to do. And <laughs> yeah. just, you know, some some conflicts, mild conflicts that came up in my marriage, but they were hurtful and different things. Yeah. And, and I happened to be, you know, um, driving somewhere and um, just uh, Gloria Estefan's song came on the radio, um, Coming Out of the Dark. Mm. Um, Gloria yeah. had just been through this horrific car accident that, for all practical purposes, immobilized her, crippled her body. Right. Nobody I thought that, that girl yeah. was ever going to dance or sing again. You mm. know, and, and she was a superstar. For sure, she came back ultimately even more of a superstar. Um, but I'll, I'll never forget the experience of ha of having that woman's voice come through those airwaves. You know, why be afraid if I'm not alone? Life is never easy. The rest is unknown. Coming out of the dark, you know. And then wow. um, it just, it, 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 as, as she described her experience through music of coming out of the dark, I, I, I just wept. And it literally felt like it was a vehicle for me mm. to come out of the dark, to sort of join her in this rejoicing of, man, this has been tough. and This has been terrible. And it's been a really hard time. But man, we're getting through it. And then, you know, later with some of her other songs, get on your feet, you know, and different things like that. Just get up and make it happen, you know, and different stuff like that. It was just like, go Gloria and go carry with her, you know. It's just like, you know, I, I think that can be such a powerful For thing sure. to say, yeah, me too. Yeah. In a really powerful way, you know. Wow. Um, the downside, of course, is music yeah. and the arts can be just as powerful for negative you know, because yeah, when we listen to depressive point. music, when we listen to angry music, when we listen to sex charged music, yeah, me too, you know, yeah. in ways that can bring us even farther down. Uh -huh. So I think it's super important, mm -hmm. you know, in a time when we have so much access to all of the arts through our technologies. I mean, instantaneously, yeah. 24 hours a day, we can be feeding our, our minds, our bodies, our bloodstream, our cells of our bodies, you know, a constant flow of music, you know, and that can work for us, as I just described, or can work deeply against us. Yeah. You know, there's so much of, of uh, music and the other arts that, that I think, you know, are so expressive of anger and depression and fear and hopelessness that that literally ends up acting as um, a direct infusion into our spiritual bloodstream, you know, yeah. even if we don't listen to the words, sure. <laughs> you know, right. Yeah. But those messages <laughs> incorporate themselves. So I think it it's yeah. very, very important in, in a time when we do have constant access, you know, to music and, and others of the arts that we make really, really wise choices about what to expose ourselves to. Because, again, on one hand, it can be so uplifting and yeah. so powerful for good. Yeah. And on the other hand, it can be so destructive and powerful for bringing us even farther down and in, intensifying our problems yeah. even more. Wow, very well said. And uh, folks, I told you she's passionate about music <laughs> and there, you felt a little bit of her passion right there. I love that. <laughs> well, there's so much to talk about, but I do want, I want to get into your, your book that you just wrote, uh, mm -hmm. your happiness toolkit, 16 strategies for overcoming depression and building a joyful, fulfilling life. Yeah. Tell us about where, why did you write the book and, and who's it for? And just kind of give us a, a kind of a lay of the land there. Yeah. 
Well, I wrote the book for a lot of reasons. I mean, in in, in many ways, I've been writing this book for at least the last 30 or 40 years, <laughs> right. you know, because that experience yeah. that I had in college was was not the first and certainly was not the last time that I personally struggled with some depressive feelings. It kind of runs on both sides of my family. It does run on both sides of my family in some, you know, very powerful ways. And just in the process of, you know, for myself, trying to find what helps rather than what hurts. And then later, certainly, as I became a counselor, um, and um, was exposed to a lot of different ideas and strategies for right. how to, you know, hopefully assist people that were struggling with those issues. Over the years, over the decades, really, the 30 plus years I've been a counselor, plus more years, you know, myself trying to make my way through. Right. Um, I found that there are simply ideas and strategies that can help a tremendous amount that can actually help people to heal and move forward and, mm -hmm. you know, repair and rebuild and, and sometimes for the first time build happy, productive lives. There are other ideas and strategies and approaches in my experience that do exactly the opposite. Mm. And sadly, it's those ideas that do the opposite that get the most press because very simply they have the most money behind them, yeah. you know. Um, nobody gets rich from telling somebody to exercise more or to keep a gratitude journal or to right. serve more or right. to or to, you know, use the arts more. No, nobody gets rich from that. Yeah. But people are, you know, um, earning billions and billions of dollars, trillions, really, on some of the other strategies that that cost a lot more. And in all honesty, keep people a whole lot more stuck. Yeah. You know, and so part of the, the big reason for writing the book was because after kind of whittling it down to what actually helps, what helped me when I was struggling, as I've been through the various difficult situations in my life, what was it actually that got me through that, got me beyond that, yeah. that helped me restore my happiness? And what is it as a counselor that I've been able to use, end up being the same strategies, that have helped others, you know, versus uh, clarifying those from things that bring people down rather than up, you know. Mm. So, like I say, in some ways, I've been writing the book for 30 plus for years. For sure, yeah. But the, the immediate trigger for writing the book um, when I started two years ago um, was a close call that one of my children had with a very, very deep struggle um, in the midst of a, of a really adverse circumstance. And um, he was away from home at the time mm. and was literally told by some of the professionals that worked with him at the time, you know, I'm, I'm so very sorry. This, this means that you have a chemical imbalance, which you probably always had and you probably always will have, and, and you just need to manage it with our product, you know. And, and he, I, I will never forget when he called me from Guatemala, you know, and he said, Mom, I'm... I'm broken. I, I'm a sick sheep and I, I need yeah. to come home. And I'm like, who is this? This is a kid who was a straight A student, had right. run his ran his own YouTube channel since he was 13 years old. Yeah. You know, always, you know, a happy, productive. Po there were absolutely no signs at all. And right. so because the implication was not only you have this disease now, but you've probably always had it. And you should send us a thank you card for identifying this <laughs> disorder, which you are. We, yeah. We've now identified so you can get the proper help. Well, they, they wanted to put him on medication, you know. Mm -hmm. And between us, we decided that was not going to happen. So instead, he came home, and we kind of did a crash course. You know, I was I was actually teaching at the time. I, every yeah. year, I teach at BYU this this course on on uh, depression. So he came. Right. It, it just so happened that he was able to come happened home to be there. That's literally that same timing, week. Right. Yeah. So he was exposed to mom's whole week long program on strategies to help recover from depression. And and of course, we talked a lot just one on one in the midst of all that. Yeah. And I kid you not, by you know, as as I got more clear, helping him, defining these particular strategies within two weeks, 
he was completely symptom free. He had no symptoms of the depression that very accurately they diagnosed out there right. at all, you know, and, and now he's the one that's heading out to, uh, to college, you know, this yeah. coming week. He's doing beautifully. Yeah. Meanwhile, you know, others that I've seen who believed that message, you know, the fact you struggle today means that you have this underlying brain disease and you just need to accept the fact that you're going to struggle with this for the rest of your life. I've seen those kids, those people of whatever age or gender, you know, flounder even more, get like even more despondent. It is a life sentence, right? You know, and it's and it's it gets even more serious than that. For some, it's a life sentence. People are like, I don't want to live this with this the rest of my life. So yeah. why stick around? Yeah. Sadly, I've seen that diagnosis, that belief that they're broken for life. Yeah, that belief. Literally, you know, trigger depressive, even suicidal feelings, and and sadly, sometimes even that action, as opposed to. The idea that there are very real, understandable reasons why you're struggling today yeah. because of the situations you've been through, because of the, the, the hard things that you have yeah, experienced right. and that you are experiencing, you know. And so to first extend understanding and compassion for those things and then to look, you know, the second part of my system is to look at, uh, you know, again, right. uh, piggybacking on what you do, you know, the beliefs, the thought patterns, the attitudes. What, what does the fact that you went through this hard thing mean to you right you know because whatever we we think like again with with this particular idea if i think that the fact that you know let's say going back to the, those hard uh, episodes i had in uh, my, my theater program you know i didn't get such and such a role that i thought i was going to get i wasn't as good as the other girls and given this opportunity there was disappointment so you know it, it was it was devastating to me at the time yeah. you know but it was a temporary situation <clears throat> You know, and at that point, I dealt with it again through exercise, right. through diet, through talking to people, through music, all that kind of stuff. Got myself through, and then there was yeah. another opportunity. Whereas I, I wonder sometimes if Carrie Wrigley, I was Carrie Maxwell back then, <laughs> would have been told at that state the fact that you're, you know, struggling with being able to sleep, and the fact that you know you don't have very much energy means that your brain is broken and. You know, you're chemically imbalanced, and the only thing that you can do is start taking our product and being on the rest of your life. I wouldn't be doing this today. Yeah. In all honesty, I don't know if I'd be here sure, today. Sure, You know, so so how we think about our struggles is even more um, um, important than what our struggles actually are. Yeah. And so essentially, I wrote this book to help people who struggle. And it might be on a full-on, you know, major depression level. It might be people who struggle with anxiety or addiction or marriage problems or other things. Um, because what I find is what helps with emotional problems helps across the board. And what makes things worse makes things worse across, across the board. The board. So, yeah, so if you sense. know what yeah. brings you up, what sends you on an upward spiral of emotional wellness and distinguish that from what takes you down, then you can apply it certainly to depression, but some of those other things too. Yeah. Um, and so having to go through that very intense two-week experience with with my child right sort of codified it was like we did this and this and this and this <laughs> and within this period of time it had this impact and yeah. it just sort of forced me to pull together all those strands that i kind of quietly discovered over, over the course of my own 30 40 years as an individual and as a counselor yeah and, and we kind of put it all together for him and then i'm like wow this could help more than just him yeah and i end up writing that book in a month and a half Wow. And it's a long book. I mean, this thing is. This yeah, thing she's is got a cheap. copy right here in front yeah, of us. It's, it's like it's a thick book. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it's about 437 pages. Yeah. When I first wrote it, my manuscript was 150 pages. But when you turn it into a book, you know, they put a bunch of space in, make it all pretty and stuff like that. So it's right. it's it's not as scary as it sounds. But the point is, 
I wrote it in a very short time because I'd been yeah. building it for a long time and just yeah. writing down the words. Well, you've almost easy. been living it, like you said, yeah. for 30 plus years. Yeah. And, and then obviously dealing it with your own family and right. things like that. And also being a counselor mm-hmm. to you know thousands of clients over the years as right. well, right? Yeah, yeah. I've, I've verbalized these things a thousand, sure. thousands of times over yeah. the years. So yeah, just putting on paper. Just finally got easy. it on paper, yeah. Uh-huh. yeah. Yeah. Well, if how would someone find your book if they want to get a copy of it and what would be the best place for them to do that? Certainly easiest place is Amazon, amazon.com. Okay. It's available both as a print book, as an audio book, and uh, most recently as um, a print book, an ebook, and most recently as an audio book. Nice. Um, and some of my clients have told me they really like getting the audio and then just having the print book that they can sort of mark things right, that they like or whatever. So, But, you know, different people learn in different ways. That's why I made it available in all three of those forms. For sure. Um, but, you know, um, so Amazon is the easiest, but certainly it's also available at Barnes & Noble and, you know, several other places. You, know, you can easily Google it, but yeah. Amazon is usually the easiest for most people. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, let's, uh, let's jump ahead just a little bit here. Um, so... What got you into actually wanting to be a counselor? <laughs> I mean, what what was it that, I mean, obviously it started when you were 12, you're counseling your parents almost, you know, trying to help them decipher what was the problem in their marriage in that moment. Mm-hmm. But what made you decide, okay, I want to do this for a living and I want to be a person that's helping people? Yeah. Well, in, in, in ways it started when I was 12. In other ways it started when I was seven and a half. Mm. Because we moved away briefly um, as a family from Utah to mm-hmm. um, a place in Illinois, Nauvoo, Illinois, where my dad was asked to help with the development of an architectural project um, for our church. And in some ways, it was a magnificent opportunity, and it's turned into this beautiful Nauvoo restoration project. But when we got there, the place was a living hell. <laughs> it literally was. Really? It was a ghost town. Um, and I say that not lightly. I mean, we, we right. literally felt like there were, you know, really um, dark spiritual influences that were fighting against our family the whole time. Um, mm. <laughs> bugs. I had a terror of bugs as a little girl. <laughs> and that's really when my parents started fighting really bad. Oh, okay. You know, and I really started having to sort of take over and sort of be the second mom and, you know, comforting my siblings and comforting myself. And yeah. and, and so I, um, um, I'd, I'd go home. It sort of felt like the war zone. And I'd go to school, and I was basically bullied and excluded for being that, uh, you know, that weird Mormon girl, you know. Right. And um, and and so I, I started, I think, at that point, really to to struggle a lot emotionally, and just to try to, you know, be strong, all that kind of stuff. But trying to at the same time to to help my little brothers and sisters and help my parents the best that I could. And so that that passion to help to make a difference and even to find a way through my own pain, I think started that early, okay. you know, yeah. and then it was ad- added upon. Yeah. When I got into junior high and, you know, the, the conflict expanded and, right. you know, parents and stuff like that. Um, but really the decision. Well, I guess one other thing when I got into high school, um, I, I was just a kid that, that people liked to talk to. I, I, I was a good listener, I guess, you know. Yeah. And I remember writing one time in my journal as a senior in high school. You know, I was deep into theater then. That was right. theater was kind of my life. And but I, I knew that was a, a difficult profession to you know make work as a as a solid foundation or whatever. And so I was just kind of thinking about what do I need to do as a as a life career or whatever. And 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 just the phrase came out of my writing as, as a senior in high school. I'm a person who turns human straw into gold. You Interesting. Know? And I'm like. 
what the crap does that mean? <laughs> you know, they're, they're, how, how is that even a, a thing? I mean, because I, I did that with people. People would be struggling and I would help turn it into something positive. That's just yeah, kind of what I natively sweet. did from the yeah. time I was a little girl in my own life and the lives of others. Yeah. But how do you actually turn that into a career, you know? And so I, I did end up going to school, as you mentioned, uh, yeah. you know, finished my theater degree and then, you know, uh, did some service for my church and stuff and came back thinking, you know, it was, the, it was still the um, early 80s, you know, thought, thought I would just come home and marry some nice boy and that would be my life, you know. But um, started to have a series of experiences that convinced me that I needed to get some more education. And as I was thinking about that and and pondering that, I, I thought about that phrase, you know, from my journal as a senior in high school, That's I'm a person who turns humans strong to gold. Well, how would I do that? By that time, I had been exposed to a few more things. And I just had a feeling deep in my heart that just said, look at being a counselor. What the heck? You know, yeah, yeah. you're a musician. <laughs> yeah, you're an actress. But, you know, looking at this too, I'm like, well, that seems really weird. But I yeah. put in my um, application <laughs> and it, it's turned out that this beautiful, like, mixture in, in my life, you know, uh, being a counselor has sort of given steadiness and resilience yeah. and uh, intention and purpose to everything else that I do, you know, right. and, and certainly in my counseling, I get exposed to all kinds of human pains and problems that then I can write about as a musician or represent in, in my acting or in, in my yeah. writing or different things like that. So it's, it, it's been a lovely way of, um, you know, and then the, the artistic things sort of buoy me up and keep me happy and right. resilient so I can go back to the, to the, the harder work, working with deeper problems and stuff like that. Mm. But ultimately in everything that I do, and it ultimately boils down to the same mission underneath it all, you know, um, building happiness, extending hope, oh, you know, whether it's through music, whether it's yeah. on stage or on screen, whether it's in my counseling office, whether it's through speaking. Um, we live in times, obviously, when happiness and hope are becoming harder and harder to find. Yeah. You know, uh, that the world is a complex and difficult place, you know, but making resources available so that people can build for themselves and for their loved ones those two crucial resources, yeah. happiness and hope, is basically the foundation underneath everything that I do, not just counseling and writing the book, but everything. Sure, wow, very beautifully said. Um, that'd be a great title for your next book, uh, Turning Human Straw into Gold. Oh, I do like there that. There you go, that could be <laughs> <Thank> <laughs> <you>. <laughs> I like that, that's really powerful. You know, um, if there's someone right now that's listening to your story and you know, and they, you know, they've heard why you wrote this book and they're struggling right now with depression or anxiety or anything for that matter, you know, just feeling lonely, being stuck in, you know, because of this pandemic that we're right. dealing with. And they're just, they, and maybe even feeling a little hopeless. Yeah. What, what advice could you give them right now that, uh, that would be helpful for them to hear at this time? I think one of the things is to recognize that no matter how bad it gets, no matter how lonely any of us feel, we're not alone. Mm -hmm. I mean, we, we hear it constantly on the airwaves and even sure. it's posted in the grocery store. We're all in this <laughs> together. And we are, you know. Yeah. Um, I, I think one of the things that, that's so crucial for all of us is to recognize that, you know, though we're in a situation right now where we, you know, we're required to do some social, social distancing and we require, you know, that doesn't mean that we need to go into our own little private place of pain and just live there all the time. Yeah. You know, um, I wrote a song a number of years ago for a struggling family member that was called Love's Umbrella. You know, when the sky turns dark and the wind blows cold, when the rain begins to fall and thunder starts to roll, when the clouds collide and storms break free, sometimes I cynically suppose it only rains on me. 
but I'm not alone. There are others who are standing on the street where it is raining too. I can cry alone or I can find a way to lift up love's umbrella on this rainy day. Finding ways to lift up love's umbrella. It it might just be going on a walk, either alone or with your dog, and Mm -hmm. smiling at people when you're on the street. Everybody needs a smile. For sure. You know, it might be, you know, going on social media and actually putting something positive there. You know, finding some inspiring quote, you know, um, giving some sort of message of encouragement. It might be, you know, um, uh, volunteering service for some little old lady in your neighborhood that, that, you know, coming up here needs her leaves raked or that needs snow removed or, you know, just finding ways. It's so normal. It's so normal when we hurt and we all hurt. Mm -hmm. It's so normal when we hurt to just go deep inside and focus on our own pain. But when we do, our pain increases. When we do, our resilience goes down. When we do, we're more vulnerable to depression, anxiety, and especially addiction. Because pain, you know, pain is always the trigger, in my experience, for every kind of addiction. You know, it's like, I hurt, I hurt, I hurt. What can I do for just a minute to make my pain go away? Exactly. And and so people invest in, Mm -hmm. you know, engage in whatever their addiction of choice is. And then they feel even worse, you know. And so the temptation, the very real temptation, just make pain go away for a little while, you know, um, ultimately makes it bigger and stronger. And instead, to redirect all of that to things that can actually help, you know. Right. In my book, mm-hmm. I identify the 16 strategies, yeah. you know. Yeah. The one we've just been talking about, service, is For one sure. of those, you yeah. know. But th- that's, that's one of many. Um, writing, writing, yeah. uh, like I mentioned before, yeah, getting, getting it out. getting out on paper, get it out. Yeah, there yeah. It, it literally activates completely different circuits of the brain to have something that, that comes out on paper. You literally cannot write... You know, with because it, it involves forming words and symbols, right? You you literally can't do it without activating the um, the neural cortex, which is the logical part of the brain, right? Which gets it out of the purely unconscious emotional part of the brain, where otherwise things can roll around hour after hour after hour. Right. You know. Yeah. So getting it out on paper or on the keyboard or on you know a sketchbook or you know in in some form, getting it out of yourself onto somewhere else, and then extending. Um, what you learn and and just in in simple ways reaching out to other people those are two things yeah, um on my website um, carryrigley.com i have a number of other resources that that because okay. not everybody feels ready to dive into a long book has been right, my experience sure. the good news about this book it is the comprehensive guidebook to managing depression and other disorders the bad part of the book is it is a comprehensive guide. It's long, you know, <laughs> yeah, right. and not everybody's ready to start with a long book. And so for that reason, I put yeah. resources on my oh, site good. that are like the five steps. It's like three pages, the five steps right. to start, you know, feeling better, you okay, know, great. that kind of stuff. No, that's good. Very well said. Again, you know, I think sometimes we hear that service uh, word and I think we're kind of desensitized mm-hmm. to it. Like, oh, yeah, service. I got to help someone. I'll feel better. But it really is one of the best things we can do when we are really um, turning inward, like you said, our resilience goes down and and depression, anxiety increase, that kind of thing. And service is a powerful thing. I really believe when we give it away, or in other words, we, we, we give out a helping hand to someone, Mm -hmm. what it does for us, it's, it's, it's magical. Yeah, it really does. But I think we hear that word sometimes. Oh, yeah. And people, it goes in one ear, out the other. And Mm -hmm. maybe I'm speaking for myself Mm -hmm. here. (laughs) But I I have to remind myself how important that is, especially when I am struggling. It's like, you know what? Get out of myself just for a minute here. Mm -hmm. 
and maybe I can go help the neighbor or maybe I can, you know, post something positive or I can give someone a phone call, that kind of thing. And I think mm-hmm. that goes along. Or I can way. just simply pitch in in the home that I'm living in. Exactly. You know, it's, it, I, I can clean the bathroom without being asked. I can make yeah. my bed without my mom bugging yeah. me 14 Little times. It I, can, have to be big. I can say something kind to my child on their yeah. way to school. You know, yeah. I can leave a nice note in my husband's, uh, you know, lunch or, or whatever. You know, there's um, our, our opportunities for um, extending kindness to others are constant. Even with strangers, even if we're living alone, you know, Mm -hmm. um, I always tell my clients that live alone that are, I think are feeling the impact of this more than anybody else. Don't stay in your house alone all the time. Find reasons. And it's easier now than it will be in a few months. You know, I think think it's, it's, it's crucial right now to build those habits. It's cold and snowy and all that stuff. Yeah. To, to find reasons to take a walk in the park or to go to the mall or to go yet again to the grocery store, even if it's to buy one thing, just so you can see other human beings. And so you can you know, have opportunity to, to smile at them and, and have some kind of interaction with them. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, so if someone wanted to reach out to you to, to you know, learn more about you, obviously you mentioned your website, we'll mention mm-hmm. it again, but what's the best way for someone that maybe has a question for you or wants to get some of your materials and even maybe... I don't know if you have a website for just your music or that kind of thing. But yeah, I what's do. The best I, way for I have to lots reach out of websites, okay. <laughs> several from my music. Um, uh, the, the main one for that is Morning Light Music. But I'm also, my music is also available on Spotify, on YouTube, right. on iTunes. Okay. You know, so I'm pretty easy to find um, that way. Awesome. Um, uh, but yeah, Morning Light Music is my main music site. Um, really, the easiest way to get to all my sites is from my main site, CarrieWrigley.com. Because okay. I, um, you know, I, I, I have connections from the homepage of that site to all my other ones. Okay. But you know, if people want to come in for counseling, for example, I have a site called MorningLightCounseling.com that okay. again is accessible from sure. Carrie Wrigley, but where you can just go to it directly. And then another one I like to direct people to is called CounselingLibrary.org. And that's where I have a lot of the articles, videos, um, podcast episodes, just mm-hmm. different things I've been involved in creating for a number of years. I, I created originally as a resource for my clients, so you know, handouts, lots of handouts, you know. Um, so it's a great place to go for, uh, for information, you know, about healing from depression, about improving relationships, about inc- inc- increasing wellness. And it's basically an online resource library, counselinglibrary.org. Right. Okay. But like I say, all of those are accessible from the doorway from the of carrierigley.com. Okay, awesome. Yeah. Yeah, and and you really do have a lot of stuff that people can delve into that will be really beneficial. I mean, again, you are you're so well versed in so many different things, and and so talented in so many different areas, and you're very passionate about what you do. And I think that's why you're so good at what you do because there's passion behind it. And I I think people who know you feel that, yeah. you know. And I've, I've I've seen that for like I said, we've known each other for so long. I've seen it year and year and year in year out and that kind of thing. So mm-hmm. it's really fun to watch. <laughs> yeah, and I'm really excited for everything that you're doing and your success and. Um, Anything, any lasting words or any challenge you could give our listeners at this point that uh, you want to leave us with? I would say, again, no matter how hard it gets from day to day, to remember that there is hope and that hope begins with one tiny little action. And it might be a different action every day. Mm-hmm. Maybe on day one, it'll be writing out a gratitude journal, you know, just l- thinking about out of everything that's hard. You know, what are a few things that are happy about my life? You know, it, maybe today the sky is blue. Maybe today my hair flipped the right direction. Right. Maybe today my <laughs> two-year-old said something funny. Right. Maybe today, 
you know, um, I, <laughs> I, I got uh, notified of an opportunity that will be important for me in some way. Yeah. You know, uh, it can be the slightest little things, you know, so maybe the gratitude journalist today and maybe tomorrow I decide to go on a walk or do something physical. And maybe the next day, you know, I um, do something kind for somebody. And maybe the next day I, um, you know, do some kind of art project or music project or, or something else to sort of, you know, let feelings out. Okay. Um, the, the beauty of um, what I found with, with that I've put into the book is there's so many different things that can help. You know, yeah. and sometimes people will say to me, you know, I, I've tried everything mm-hmm. I have. And ultimately what I found they really mean by that is they have tried every medication on me and nothing is, quote, working. Yeah. And wh- what I find almost always with those people is they've never been exposed to these very simple but very powerful oh, ideas. Right. The, these ideas aren't ones you'll find in the pamphlets of the doctor's office or yeah. on the commercials on TV. Sure, sure. But they're things they are mostly free, you know, yeah. that people can start doing right away. You know, yeah. and and so to do some little thing, I've, I found a, a really good starting exercise is what I call the wellness grid. You know, and that is basically to just divide a paper into four sections, and to title those sections um, mental, physical, spiritual, and social, and write down maybe three, maybe five ideas in each of those areas that over time you can do. It, I, I find yeah. that organize it into those four areas makes it easier to think of. Mental, I could yeah. read the self-help book. I could make a plan for my goals. I could you know, do a gratitude journal. Yeah. Physical, I could go on a walk. I can learn to cook healthier. I can yeah. you know, clean up my house, whatever. You know, I, Identifying ideas in each of those four so you kind of have a menu to draw from from day yeah. to day. I find that doing that wellness grid as simple as it is, people can usually do it in five to ten minutes. Sure, you know? yeah. And, and it, it's it's one of the ideas that comes up very early in my book. Um, but like people don't need the book just to, to do that simple of an yeah, exercise. Simple and activity. then once you have that menu, then you just pick you know one or two or three things from that menu every day to start doing. Rather than what we tend to do instead when we hurt, which is ruminate, just go deep in ourselves and think around, you know, go around and around and around the same depressing or ang- right. anxiety producing or angry thoughts, you know, but to actually get involved in some kind of positive action every day. You yeah. know? Awesome. Yeah, that's great advice. Um, <laughs> I love that. And, and I love how simple it really is. It really is. So simple. Well, Carrie, I can't thank you enough for spending some time with us today and sharing, you know, a portion of your life and, and, and what you're doing and how you're helping so many people. I want to thank you for sharing that with us today. Thanks, Todd. It's been great being here. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Well, there you go, guys. Go again. I told you another amazing guest, Carrie Wrigley. Please check her out on her website, carriewrigley.com, and that that will lead you to everything else. If you have a question for her, you can reach out to her there as well. Um, you can also reach out to me, and I can uh, relay the messages to her as well. Um, I live really close to her. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I'm so grateful, man. This was awesome. Thank you so much. The time just flew by. Yeah. And, uh So there you go, listeners. Please share this with people that you know. And and I can't thank you enough for supporting me and this wonderful belief cast. It's just been amazing. And we're going to keep bringing in amazing guests. And we couldn't do it without you. So thank you so much. And until next time.